everyone. This is Jake Milwee. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you would ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. It's good to be with y'all. There are a few of you out there who are amongst the living. It's great. Fantastic. Praise God. Praise God. It's always good to be with you guys. I'm always thankful. You guys have been so generous and kind towards me. So thank you for continuing to, to welcome me um, into your community. I really do um, love this church. So thank you for that. Uh, I am excited because last week, if you'll remember with me, those of you who, who were here, I kind of said that as we get ready to get ready for Christmas, so as we get ready to enter Advent, uh, I wanted to kind of give us just a few texts, a few passages to consider as maybe like like the preparatory work. Like this is kind of like the SAT is coming, but we need to go through the class to know how to actually take the SAT. That's what this is. Some of you just had like anxiety, like build up in your system when I said that. Um, all is well, I promise. But that's kind of what we're doing. We're, we know that this season of Advent, we know that the season of Christmas is coming, and Advent helps us get ready for that, to be sure, but maybe we actually need to do a little bit of work of getting ready for Advent, of getting ready for Christmas. And so last week I preached on an admittedly obscure text. This week, praise God, you guys will be so glad, is a much more well-known text. Hopefully we'll be a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more at home in it. Um, we're going to talk about the transfiguration, which happens in three of the Gospels. It happens in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so I'm actually going to read all three of the accounts of it because they're relatively short. And then we're going to talk about it. But before we do that, let me pray. And then we will jump into the transfiguration narrative. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your steadfast love that we just sang about. Um, God, would you um, open our, our hearts and our minds? Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see whatever it is that you have for us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you um, guide my words and also just kind of uh, illuminate the scriptures to us so that we can see Jesus more clearly and be more better shaped and formed into his image so that we can be better disciples. Lord, would you just kind of guide us this morning in ways that only you can. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So all of these transfiguration narratives happen semi into Jesus's ministry. This, this is not like the first thing that's happened, nor is it the last thing that's happened. He's been doing some miracles. He's been doing some work. He's been having uh, philosophical and religious conversations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the teachers. And he's been kind of building and kind of giving the disciples tiny little glimpses into what he's going to do, i.e. his death. So in Matthew's account, in Matthew's account of the transfiguration, what precedes it directly is Jesus explaining to the disciples that the Son of Man, him, he, Jesus, is going to suffer and is going to be killed. And Peter, this is the, the great story where Peter's like, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. That's the precursor to what's happening here, okay? That's kind of the, the pre-story um, in, in at least Matthew, and you get the same kind of vibes from Mark and Luke, that Jesus is kind of into his ministry, he's been doing things, he's been having important conversations, and you kind of, it's, it feels in some ways like this is one of the things that's been building towards. 
So let me read these three accounts real, real quick for us to kind of get it in our brains. And after hearing it a few times, I think it kind of helps it solidify in us. So here we go. The first one is Matthew, Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse one. It says this, it says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, uh, the brother of James. So you got four people, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. And he led them up high on a mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And, and if you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice came from that cloud and said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, but Jesus came and touched them and said, get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. That's Matthew's version of the story. Let's read Luke's. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 28. Luke 9, 28 says this. About eight days after Jesus had said these things, he took Peter and John and James with him, and they went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with them. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and for Elijah. And Luke adds this, he says, he did not know what he was saying. <laughs> While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. Okay, last but not least, let's take a look at what Luke has to say. Or I just read Luke. Did I just read Luke? I just read Luke. We skipped Mark. No one said anything. You guys are too trusting. Goodness. Jesus help us. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2, it says this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. All you parents who have to use those, the, the whitening products because your kids play sports or they're just dirty outside, you have nothing on Jesus here. Like, I don't care what compound you've concocted over the years to get the grass stains out. You got nothing on Jesus. And there appeared with him Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi or teacher, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say because they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Okay, three versions of the same story with basically the same kind of outline. Jesus grabs three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. 
They go up on a mountain. They're kind of just kicking it up there. They're praying. They're having conversations. And then all of a sudden, right before their very eyes, Jesus is transfigured before them. His face shines. His clothes are shiny. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are there too. I had one person in the first service ask me. She said, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? To which I said, I do not know. I don't know how the the Peter, James, and John knew that they were looking at Moses and Elijah with Jesus, but there they are. They show up, they're talking with Jesus. And Peter, ever bold, ever quick to speech, Peter, who I think we all in our minds and hearts somewhere identify with in various capacities, Peter says, I have a great plan. I have a great plan. We need to stay up here because this is good. This is this is literally it could not get better unless Abraham showed up for Peter. Like it, it could not possibly be better. And Peter says, let's build three shelters. I'm gonna build one for Jesus and one for Moses and Elijah. And right in the middle of Peter's grand plan, right in the middle of kind of his just, you know, thinking what he's going to do, a voice from heaven sh- just opens up and, and says, it says, hey, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. And this is too much for them to handle. They were able to handle the bright, shiny lights and the really like Clorox bleached clothes. They were able to handle all that. They could not handle the voice of the father coming down from heaven. So they fall back, they, they bow down, they're terrified. And then the story kind of ends itself in all these gospels with Jesus just being left alone there and Jesus kind of looking at them and saying, hey, get up, don't be afraid. And then they go back down the mountain. That's what's happening here. Now, a lot of you are probably sitting there going, how on earth is this passage supposed to help prepare me for the season of preparation that is Advent? <laughs> Allow me to kind of draw our attention to a few things. One, as they are going up the mountain, you have to remember here that the context in which this story shows up is they, the disciples have been with Jesus for a while, right? They've been kind of just traveling around with him. They've been hearing his, his messages. And in multiple places throughout these gospels, he's begun kind of revealing the plan to them. They don't quite get it. They miss it a lot because in their brains and in their hearts even, they have a preconceived notion of what the Messiah is supposed to do. They have baggage and preconceived ideas about how God is going to set things right and how God is going to restore and heal Israel, how God is going to overthrow Israel's enemies and make the world right again. And they have all of these kind of preconceived ideas, these prophecies, these things, and all of those things come from two places. Primarily, they come from the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. They knew their history. Peter, James, and John were good Jewish men who knew their history. And so you have to imagine with me, we kind of have to become a little bit like embedded in the story. They're going up on this mountain with their great rabbi, their great teacher. I don't know what they were expecting I don't know what they were hoping for. Maybe they were thinking, we're just, we're gonna, we're gonna pray. We're gonna kind of retreat and get away, take a deep breath. But along with them, again, remember, we gotta kind of put ourselves in the story. Along with them, just imagine, they are carrying up this mountain, all of their expectations and hopes and dreams and preconceived notions about who Jesus is and how Jesus should act and what the Messiah is going to look like. They're naturally predisposed towards doing this. We do the same thing. We all have preconceived ideas that we kind of carry around with us. We all have baggage that we carry around with us. So up the mountain they go with this metaphorical baggage that they're carrying. And they get up there and things are, things are okay. They're praying. They're just chilling. Maybe one of them brought some trail mix. I don't know. But they're just kind of up there having a good time. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, 
Jesus is like changed right before their eyes. His face gets shiny, his clothes get shiny, and they're like, this is really strange. This is odd. And as this is happening, you also get the two great people of their faith who represent what? The law and the prophets. You have Moses and Elijah, these great pillars of their faith, these great people that they looked to and that they quoted and that they, they were waiting for people who bore, who bore the spirit of Moses and Elijah to come again. So Moses and Elijah show up, the, the fulfillment and the representation of the law and the prophets, and they're right there with Jesus. And the disciples still quite aren't figuring out what's happening. They're like, I'm confused. Two of the other, Mark and Luke, even say that when Peter starts speaking, it's like they give him this disclaimer. They're like, he didn't know what he was saying. Bless his heart. Like, he, don't mind him over here. He didn't know what he was saying. It's fine. It's fine. But Peter, because Peter's a smart guy, realizes he's like, this is all I could have ever hoped for. I have my great rabbi, my great teacher. I have the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. I have the, the strongest representations I can get of those in my brain. They're all here. This is what I want. This is how things should be. And then it's just shattered. It's just completely shattered because out of heaven, the voice of God just begins to speak and says, this is my son, listen to him. So they're up the mountain with all their baggage, with all their preconceived ideas, with all their expectations of who Jesus is, how Jesus is supposed to be, what Jesus is supposed to do. And they get up there and then all of a sudden, the law and the prophets show up and they're like, this is great. Then the father speaks and they're terrified and they fall down on their faces they, they can't even look around what's happening. And then here's what happens. Here's what happens. Jesus goes over to them. And I just imagine him kind of like just, you know, like patting them on the back. It says, it says in, in Matthew that he, he touched them. He goes over and he touches them. Maybe just kind of like, it's like, hey, they're there. It's okay. Breathe. You know? And he touches them and he tells them two things. Jesus tells them two things. He says, one, get up. Because remember, they've just collapsed in fear. Just, they're taking, their brains are taking in so much information that they are not capable of processing. So they just kind of, like, it all, like, there's a shortage in the system and they just collapse. So Jesus goes over to them, he touches them, and he says, one, get up. Get up. Why? Well, a few things here. One, they're on the ground, so you should get up. Get up off the ground. Um, he's like, I can only bleach so many things here, so I need you to keep your clothes clean. So he's like, get up. Get up off the ground. Well, another reason that's actually potentially theologically <laughs> accurate here is, hey, there's work to be done. There is work to be done. Staying here on this mountaintop experience, staying here with kind of this just really beautiful, clarifying picture is not where we can camp out. Jesus doesn't even acknowledge, it doesn't even tell us that anyone's acknowledged what, what Peter said about building the houses. They don't even like talk, they're like, nope, we're moving right past that. Like that's not even a possibility here. So Jesus goes over to me, touches him, he says, get up. And then he says this, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I think if, if we carefully kind of inspect and kind of deconstruct a little bit about what's happening here and know the story better. I think Jesus tells them, do not be afraid for, for two reasons and maybe potentially even more. But the two reasons, one, they were afraid. It's a naturally occurring thing. They, they were experiencing fear because they were witnessing something that their brains couldn't quite process. And it was, it was intimidating. It was terrifying. So one, they actually are afraid. 
But I think the second and potentially bigger thing that's undergirding this is that the reality of having to leave that mountaintop and go back down into the actual real world, go back down into the valleys, go back down into the metaphorical fallow plains of life is scary. There's a lot that can make us afraid. There's a lot that we kind of bear in us that can rise up in fear at the drop of a hat. Being a follower of Jesus is not all like bright lights and clean clothes and nice white things. Instead, there's some fear that's sometimes involved because we're humans. The world can be a scary, terrifying, disorienting place. And I think Jesus realizes that and he also realizes what's about to occur. He also realizes what he is calling his followers to, and that is to imitate him even to death itself. And so they need to hear the message of get up. There's work to be done. There's a calling on your life. The Holy Spirit is doing something new. I'm doing something new. I'm here. But also don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Beyond just like, oh, I'm afraid in this moment, but do not carry with you a spirit of fear. We're told later in the New Testament that that perfect love casts out all fear. And if we are loved perfectly by the all-creating, all-powerful God of the universe and the cosmos, then we should be an unfearful people. But we have to be reminded, because this world uses fear as just this instigator and as this means of accomplishing its goals— And if we are to be people who both can live on the mountaintop of Jesus, but can also go right back down the mountain into the mess and the mundaneness of life, we have to be a people who are not afraid. And how do we be not afraid? How do do we not be afraid in this world? Well, we look at Jesus. And the story ends with this. Jesus touches them. He says two things. He says, get up and don't be afraid. And then it says this. When they looked up, They saw no one but Jesus. They saw no one but Jesus. Their preconceived baggage and notions about who Jesus was and how the law and the prophets were actually supposed to kind of be fulfilled in a certain way and that that was going to happen, gone. Moses and Elijah are no more there. Have they been fulfilled? Absolutely. Should we throw them out? Absolutely not. But... Only when we see those things through Jesus, only when Jesus is at the center and at the forefront, does anything else make sense. Only when we open our eyes and only see Jesus can we truly be a people who are able to get up and not be afraid. Get up, don't be afraid. Alongside the the transfiguration narrative, you can also kind of pair two other narratives. One is the actual crucifixion itself where Jesus is lifted up and there's two other people alongside him. There's parallels that we could go into for days there. I don't want to do that, but what I want to kind of use as a further illustration is the story of the road to Emmaus. When Jesus has been crucified and buried and he's, he's risen from the dead and not a whole lot of people have seen him yet, it's kind of still like, are you sure? Like, is the, like, there's whispers about the resurrection. They're not exactly sure if they believe it yet. And Jesus is just walking along the way and meets up with these two people who are just on a, on a journey on foot going to the next town. And he meets up with them and he joins their little party of two. And in the story on the road to Emmaus, it's, it says this. It says that on this walk, Jesus explains literally the entire Old Testament to them. 
They don't realize it's Jesus because they're not exactly sure if they believe that someone has been resurrected. They don't even recognize that it's Jesus. But he's walking with these two men and he says, let me explain the law and the prophets. Let me explain Moses and Elijah to you. They still don't see that it's him. They do not understand that it's Jesus. They're not just seeing Jesus yet. They get to kind of this, the place where they're gonna spend the night. They're getting ready to have dinner. They still don't know it's Jesus. They still have no clue that it's Jesus. They sit down to have, to have a meal. And the story says that Jesus takes the bread from the table and he breaks it. And then it says, in that moment, their eyes were open and they were able to see that it was Jesus. And then he was gone. It is in the journey through the law and the prophets. It is in the journey of the Christian faith. It is in the journey of kind of being afraid sometimes and wondering, like they were like, is this resurrection thing actually happening? Can we trust this? Is this true? Is this something that we can actually get up and not be afraid when we go to work, when we do our jobs, when we do what we're supposed to do? Can this actually be? And the people on the road to Emmaus, they, they don't get it. They don't get it. They've heard the entire story explained. They've heard Moses and Elijah explain. And when they get to it, and when Jesus breaks the bread, and it's in the breaking of bread, that they see Jesus. And it's just Jesus. Resurrected, kingly, Lord Jesus. And then he's gone. But they are forever changed. And only when we actually see Jesus, only when, when we begin to pray prayers like, God, would you reveal yourself to me more? Would you show me areas where I have a lot of baggage or where I have a lot of preconceived ideas or where I'm holding on to things that I want you to do that you've just, you're not gonna do them the way I want? Would you, God, begin to reveal those places to me so that what? So that I can get up and not be afraid in a world that pretty much tells me to stay down and be afraid. What does it mean? What does it look like for us to be people who see Jesus so clearly through the gift and the grace of God that at the end of the day, we are the most unfearful, bold people in the world? And you all know this to be true, that we have in different seasons of our lives, sometimes we have these mountaintop transfiguration-like experiences, right? We'll have just a season of life where we feel incredibly connected to God and we feel spiritually strong and we're just learning and learning and growing and growing and the spirit is in us and we're receptive what the spirit's doing and it's beautiful and it's great. Or even like narrow it down further, we'll gather together in this space on a Sunday morning and maybe you'll feel really encouraged. My prayer is that you do. My prayer is that we feel encouraged and challenged and kind of built up by the presence of one another and by the presence of God. And so it's like this beautiful kind of high mountaintop experience, but then we have to go out into the real world. We have to go to our jobs and our families in places that are maybe just a little bit hostile to us or places that we don't quite know how to handle situations. We cannot just live on the mountaintop because mountaintop people are ultimately ineffective people if they just stay there. If Jesus and the disciples had never gone back down off that mountain, we would never even, we wouldn't be here right now. There'd be no point. Ministry and mission and living out the call of the gospel, because we have seen Jesus clearly, friends, it happens when we go back down. We go out into the real world. We don't just have this little huddle of Christianity together, but we actually go out into the world and experience those kind of highs and lows. Maybe it's a fallow season. Maybe it's a dry season. Maybe it's a great season. But ultimately, we are people who Jesus just kind of just looks at and kind of just gently like kind of rubs your back like a parent would. 
And he just looks at us, and I think he's saying, hey, get up, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then hopefully when he says that to us, we're able to kind of open our eyes and open our hearts and open our ears and just see Jesus. And not anything else that the world tells us we need to hear and see, we can just see Jesus. And only in seeing Jesus will we not be afraid. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are present with us both on the mountaintop, um, but God, also in the valley or also um, in just a fallow, dry season. God, that you're with us in rejoicing and mourning alike, and you don't leave us regardless of our emotions or regardless of our mental state or regardless of how we're feeling on a given day. So Lord, would you help us be people who see you clearly and who through the power and the grace of what God has done in our lives are able to keep you at the forefront so that we can get up and not be afraid. God, would you embolden us and strengthen us and encourage us this week? It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.